Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Did I tell you that we relaunched our TV podcast that is now called the Prestige TV Pod? We did it in time for Succession, which is launching in October. But there's so many good shows this fall. We got Yellowstone and Billions and Insecure. We have The Shrink Next Door. Is Mayor of Kingstown going to be good? We're going to be breaking all of it down. The morning show season finale. We are going to be here. Like, we're going to treat it like we treat the NBA playoffs. If there's a really good prestigious TV show, we're breaking it down in this feed. Check it out. The Prestige TV Pod from the Ringer Podcast Network. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. And welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is a special iteration that we are kicking off. My name is J. Kyle Mann. I'm here today with Jonathan Sharks. Sharks, how you doing? I'm good. I see you're using big words already. Iteration. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a Texas kid. I don't know all this fancy talk, Kyle. Well, yeah, you were kind of chiding me earlier for being a bumpkin. And I was like, hey, buddy, take a look in the mirror there, pal. <laughs> Folks, basketball is very good, and today is a great day to talk about basketball. And we're going to be reviving, sort of circling back, bringing back a concept that we did last year with the Ringer NBA University concept that Kevin O'Connor and Jonathan Charks and myself did. We're going to be re reshaping that, honing that, dialing in on a show, and we're going to be calling that Upside High. We're going to be talking about young players, players in the first, you know, three to four to five range of their years of their career, players who are heading towards the NBA and developmentally focused conversations. You know, the guys that could be stars, uh, what do they have to do to get there? Things like that. Uh, those are the things that, that get me excited about basketball is like seeing who's coming and what are the conversations relevant to that? What are the things that uh, that, that a young player, what is the, the buy-in price to sit at the poker table of the NBA? Um, but we're going to be doing that on a weekly basis, upside high. You know, Steph is awesome. KD is awesome. But at a certain point, what more can you say about those guys, right? We all know that. 
It's always who's going to be next. We're trying to be hipsters, stay on the cutting edge. And I do promise to troll you about Kentucky basketball when I can sneak it in there. So I deserve it. I would say number one. Uh, so that's welcome. I, you know, and I troll Kentucky fans too. So I guess I kind of deserve uh, to be, and, and sort of the hipster sensibility is, is a funny thing to hit on. Uh, I think you're right about that. Uh, I've, joked that, you know, in my life, the two things that I've been most drawn to are like the NBA draft and like indie music. And though, and those communities have a lot of overlaps, discovering things first, uh, you know, just sort of the printing the receipts on that front, uh, very principled and very nerdy, uh, both of those. So maybe that says something about me, but this class, uh, today we're going to, we're going to be talking about some of the finer points of this 2021 NBA draft class, uh, a few individuals, Specifically, um, we really want to jump off, first of all, I'm talking about Evan Mobley. Uh, Evan Mobley taken by the Cavs uh, this year at three. You were a guy that kind of, you and Bill specifically have been taking some victory laps about Mobley. I mean, it's early. What are you seeing early on from Mobley that you that you like, that really like makes your eyes bug? I mean, he's doing the same stuff he did in college, but I think we're just seeing it on a different level now. And I've been really excited to talk about Mobley with you just to get you on the spot right now. Are you are you right now saying he's better than Cade? Like, are you willing to take that take that L or are you going to hold off for a while? You know, Charks, my basketball existence is me uh, famously slow thinker when it comes to basketball. I just kind of walk around in circles in my yard like a philosopher and kind of go back and forth and back and forth. I'm not a quick take, hot take guy all the time. So I don't want to be reactionary, but... I was on the Cade corner. This is a fair thing to corner me about, I think, and confront me about because I was a big Cade guy for a long time. And I kind of had a moment. You you do this thing where like we're checking our phones constantly. I'm checking box scores to see if Zaire Williams hit a couple threes and didn't go 0 for 10. Things like that. We'll talk about him someday. <laughs> you make your big bets and you check on them, though. I think that's kind of what I mean. Sort of like the stocks on your phone. Uh, for Cade, uh, we'll talk more about him specifically later. Um, in relation to Mobley, I did have a moment where I was like, did I really whiff on something here? Is there something bigger and sort of like systematic about or systemic about the way that I look at players that maybe I missed, or maybe I had a bias that was wrong. I think you kind of, if you're honest with yourself and you want to do a good job at this, I think you have to do those things. Um, not yet would be my answer. Uh, you know, Mobley charged out of the gate and kind of had an unfair advantage where uh, Cade was hurt at the beginning of the year, turned his ankle, and he kind of had a hard time coming back from that. He's still coming back from that. But Mobley's impact is so significant that I, I think that he is, you know, at least a little bit ahead of Cade. I think you have to say that right now, but Cade's catching up. So to answer your question, um, no, I'm not ready to totally move on that because it's it's you got to let the returns come completely in, man. We don't want to overreact. I don't know. I, That's fair. I'll just say this. As someone who has mo had Mobley above Cade before the season, I'm certainly not going to change that my mind now about that after what we've seen in the first month. And I think to start with Mobley, I think let's start here. And I, I, should, I sent you this thing the other day. If you look at how many points, rebounds, assists, blocks, and two-point percentage... If you look at those five numbers, there's four guys who've hit the same benchmarks Mobley has hit as rookies ever in the NBA. That list of four guys is David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Chris Webber, Pau Gasol. I look at those four guys, I see four Hall of Famers, four All-NBA franchise players, 
And I'm like, yep, that sounds about right. Mobley to me is that guy. I think, I mean, obviously you can't predict that kind of career yet. I think he has those kind of skills. I think he has that kind of potential. And I just think, you know, as Michael Jordan once said, the ceiling is the roof. Like that is Evan Mobley. I mean, he's got a chance to be one of the top five players in the league, I think. And not not like right away or anything, but like it's right there for him. I mean, I guess like I'll start with, okay, this guy's seven feet tall. He's a plus athlete. He has plus size. He's really freaking smart. And what stood out to me the most so far is how often do you see a young big man be this good at defense and plugging into a role right away? I mean, I remember I was even saying for the season, like, I love Evan Mobley, but this is going to take some time because my comp for him was Anthony Davis coming out. And I remember AD in his first year, it took him a little bit of time to get going. But Mobley, he's just rolling. I think there's some interesting kind of physical differences between, you know, Bill and I went wild and we're talking about like Garnett, AD, those types of athletes. On the stat thing too, I'd be curious to see what like the per 75 possessions or per 36 are since the eras are kind of wildly all over the place there. But anyway, he's, it doesn't, none of that diminishes the point. That's, that's sort of a push your glasses up uh, retort there. But um, with, <laughs> with those that's good. Guys. I like that. Put your glasses. <laughs> the Conan O'Brien nerd voice kind of thing. <laughs> that's kind of who I am. Uh, anyway, my essence. No, I, I think that you're you're right. I think when you start to kind of look at the athleticism between those types of of guys, I was noticing that I don't I don't think that Mobley is as like twitchy quick as Davis, like uh, or like Robinson, or he's not. He's a little different is what I was going to say. He has a, uh, he doesn't have the same kind of disruptive. If you go watch like young Garnett when he was a rookie, there's a, there's a clip where he finally went nuts, I think against like the Rockets. And he's just like really covering a lot of ground really fast. Mobley doesn't have to do that as much. He's like very positionally savvy for, for his age. I think that this draft is really interesting because we have a bunch of guys who I think have really high defensive upside and really high creation upside. I think that's something with the offense. We'll get to his offense, but defensively, Evan has this ability to, he has really mobile hips, number one, um, and he can react to ball handlers in a way that's really impressive. I sent you a clip of him uh, from their game against uh, Charlotte where, Miles Bridges, and you can go on like these vi- these video sites, and and I'll I'll try to post a clip of him like elite ball handlers attacking him like in open space on an island like uh, Devin Booker, Damian Lillard. Uh, Miles Bridges was trying to attack him downhill, and you could just see like Miles is a super athlete, and Evan was like reacting and turning in real time really quickly and not getting blown by. Um, which which is really impressive for a guy his size. I, I think th- he just has this ability to play conservatively and not get out of position. You know what I mean? Like you'll see some of these really athletic guys just jump to the moon and get out of position like Nerlens, Mitchell Robinson. Um, he's very advanced on that front. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that talking about like comparing him athletically. And I always look at like a lot of young guys, they come in the league and they can get to like 100 but sometimes it's like they're going fast, but they don't know where they're going. Mobley, it's just like he's cruising on 80 the whole time. I think the best line for that, Charles Barkley always says, these young guys come in the league and they think, oh, wow, I can jump over buildings. <laughs> when they become good is when they realize, oh, actually, 
I can just take the elevator to the top floor. Like I don't have to jump all the way. Mobley already does that. Like he's already got that ability to stop and change speeds. He's such a smooth player. And that's what, to me, when I first watched him in college, I loved the most about him. I love watching smooth players, like your T-Macs, your KDs. It's like, they don't have to always go to 95 because they're going to 70 constantly. And it's all they really need to do. And Mobley already has that in his game. And the number that's crazy is, I think it's something like his foul rate and his block rate are like identical, which like yeah. never, ever, ever happens. Usually it's like Jaron Jackson Jr. where he blocks a ton of shots and he has a ton of fouls and he has to learn how to like block without fouling. Mobley already has that. Yeah, I think that, that that point you made is a really, really good one. And what you're talking about with smoothness, I think, is... Like you see like latency, I call it like info lag sometimes with big guys where they aren't understanding what's happening and you see them get out of position. I would always like joke about like Nick Richards, who I root for at Kentucky. He was a guy who, there you go, there's your first one. But he's just an example of somebody who would be trying to process the game. And you saw this a little bit with Aiton. People would be like, oh, Aiton's slow. Aiton's this, he's that. And if you really paid attention, you'd be like, no, he's thinking. He's just, but you know, Matt, efficiency and mastery are kind of go hand in hand. I think when you watch NBA players, like when you watch Luca come into the league offensively, he was very smooth because he was processing the game in real time. He wasn't confused. He never looked overwhelmed. Mobley right now is second in the NBA in contesting two point shots. Um, He's, he's just, he's really raised Cleveland's defensive floor. He's been really impressive on that front. Uh, We could talk about him till the cows come home on that side of the ball. One thing I think worth pointing out too, as you talked about that, and I remember thinking coming into the season, I wasn't sure how the Mobley-Allen thing would work. And because like they're both not really floor spacing bigs and that's worked really well. I think primarily because Mobley is so smart. Like some of the big, the big passes he makes are absolutely unbelievable. Like this guy is, there was a get, there's a pass against the Bucks you sent me where he's dribbling it on his, with his left hand and he left hand passes it to Allen in the lane. And it's like, this is insane. This is not something a 20-year-old should ever be doing at seven feet tall. And on that front, he is ahead of Anthony Davis. I think as as a potential, like his upside, there's the there's a word, take a drink. Uh, we'll say that one a lot. Uh, his upside as a creator, I think, is higher than, than Davis's. I think Davis is more of like a, a, a score on his own island. Now, Davis can pass. I just think that Mobley has a lot of potential on that front. And Little detail here. The person that he attacked with his left hand and made that one-handed left-hand pass was Drew Holiday. This guy is a big with a 7-4 wingspan. I think you can kind of see how long his arms are sometimes on like in the way he shoots. He's got sort of an awkward load-up follow-through. But he uh, offensively, he's 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 been pretty impressive. Among rookies, he's third in scoring, uh, second in total rebounds, but he's first in blocks. I think you're 100% right about the Jared Allen, Evan Mobley thing. I think Lowry's interesting, too. Their lineups are interesting. But you said you had a uh, a nickname for Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. What was that? Yes. The Thin Towers. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, I mean, I've struggled to come up with a nickname for him. I mean, he's... Uh, He's kind of he's coming back from an injury. He had an elbow injury. He's kind of been getting back. I like this Cavs team, man. I was watching them last night, and it's like they're they're scrappy. You can tell that they they're one of those teams that like teams that have cohesion don't go away because in the NBA is kind of a game of movements and 
uh, of runs and things like that. And they just kept coming, you know, like they, they obviously added Ricky Rubio and Lowry. He's too. been huge. Rubio has been great for them. Rubio is, is like a CEO you bring into a startup. That's what I always say. He's like a guy, he's a guy that you bring in and he can kind of take you, you know, to the next level. Uh, and then like Chris Paul is a guy who like will take you public. That's always the comparison I made. Um, but uh, let's uh, before we move on to Cade Cunningham, let's uh, let's go to a break. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, let's move on to Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham's the the guy that uh, I have talked about for, for a while now. Cade Cunningham started the season. Uh, me and uh, like like I discovered Cade Cunningham. That's what that sounded like. You want to talk about? <laughs> Just hipsters. go for it. Go for I it. I discovered Kyle. Cade Cunningham in a dirty gym in Texas, and I was the only one there. And I said that guy's going to be good. No, no, this guy's been on the radar for a long time. Cade Cunningham, big playmaker. That's been the rub on him. He fits the mold. We can talk about that a little bit. Had a slow start to the year. Um, you know, you were lighter on Cade than I was. Let's just talk about why that 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 is up front. What do you what where are you on Cade now and why were you sort of hesitant to put him ahead of Mobley? I think the word you said best, slow start. Like he's just not very fast. And that's that is overcomable, but it's something that holds him back just off the jump. He's just not a super fast player. There was a he played the Thunder last night and Lou Dort just blew by him off the dribble. And like Lou Dort's a good athlete, but there are just levels of athleticism Cade doesn't have. And I think everybody was, oh, it's okay. Luca, not a great athlete. And this is true. But I think off the jump, we got to kill all Luca comps for any young player. Until a young player is the MVP of Europe at 16, I don't want to hear the Luca comp. It's just not fair to him. Luca is an absolute freak of nature. 
You're going like religiosity with Luca there. He was an MVP at 16, was he? He was MVP at 18. You're kind of, are you, are uh, you right, increasing put your, gla- put the... Put your glasses up. Put your glasses up. No, Kyle. that's I'm not sorry. a nerd thing. That's me calling you on your <laughs> Dallas folklore stuff. He was the MVP at 13. No, he. it's just going to keep going. That's kind of like the Jason Tatum is 19 kind of thing. Fair but, enough. Uh, but so no, the I, point is... Yes, for the sure. Point, the point is like, because he is slower and then what Luca has that he doesn't, Luca has just got... First of all, like he has unbelievable touch around the basket as a scorer. Luca was always shooting in like 55% from two-point range. And that was a thing for me when I was looking at Cade in college. That was like, this guy is not Luca. This guy is not better than Mobley. It's two-point percentage. He was at like 46% in college. He's at 45% now. Like he's a good scorer, but he doesn't have the burst to get to the rim. And he's not like this unreal guy who can just score over the top people really easily. Like he has that ability. To me, he's just not like, I don't think he'll ever be a guy who's going to get 25, 30 points a game. I don't think that's his game really. And I think that's why if I was going to put Kato over Mobley, it'd be because he could score at will on people, which he can't do. Yeah, you're you're kind of walking around a point that I wanted to make. You set it up pretty well here. And I, I've watched him as he's leveled up. I do think that he's kind of worked on his body type a little bit. Like he's, you're 100% right about his speed. And I've kind of been wondering, do you, he has big shoulders and a big frame. First of all, like his height has kind of been a subject of, or it's kind of been an issue of, of discussion because he's listed at 6'6 six, six now. There were people talking about him like he was 6'8, which makes, it's not an enormous difference, but it does make a difference. And do you think that he should kind of lean towards a, more solid body type, like a Luca type body type. I don't know that he can get as big. I don't know what that would do to hit, but I think that he has more impact as sort of a pace player, sort of a start, stop, keep you on the hook, just a bigger bodied kind of guy. Like, I don't know that the lean body type is going to work for him. If he's not going to be fast, he probably at least needs to be a little bit more immovable. Does that make sense? Yes. Strong. He should be strong if he's not fast, basically. Yeah. I think I would love to see Cade, and I think for me, I think we got to move off Cade as like the Luca Lamello type. I think those guys are in our own little worlds. I see Cade as more, gotta give a shout out to my guy, Dean on draft. He called this early last year. He, he thought Cade was more of the Chris Middleton type. And I think that's exactly right. Like to me, if I'm trying to maximize Cade, to me, he's more of the Chris Middleton, Paul Pierce type. And I think that's important because what I want to see Cade do a lot more of is mid-range jump shots. I want to see him get to 15 feet, shoot over guys, play out of the mid post. I think in Toronto and Detroit, because Dwayne Casey's more of an analytics guy now, it's like only threes, only rim shots. To me, Cade's got to live in that mid range. That's where he can really get his money. I mean, the the two examples there, Paul Pierce and Chris Middleton, are two like pretty exceptional ISO scores. I don't know. I, that's kind of apples and oranges for me. I, I think the point though is correct. The comps aside. Um, I think I think that he is that's been a big question for him. You and I talked a lot about before the draft. I think we were very like uh cognizant of the fact that him being like the engine like a helio player who could carry a team with his scoring and could do that efficiently enough. A, I don't think he has the preference to do that. I don't I don't think that he necessarily wants to play that way. He's not he's not like a Luca or a um or a I don't know pick any example, a guy who's just like, I'm going to go out there and humiliate you by me scoring. I don't know that he's necessarily wired like that, 
But another thing that's killing him is, you know, he's he's just not scoring off the bounce in the pick and roll. He he started the season in the pick and roll four for 23 from the three-point line just in those play types, 17.4%. Uh, in college, it wasn't that much better. I mean, he was 32%. But uh, he needs to just kind of develop a dominant scoring mode like you're talking about. I think that that's definitely true. And something that's not ha- helping him is this Pistons team is historically terrible, like shooting the ball. Like it's one of the worst three-point percentage. I looked it up since like 1998. There's only been like four teams that have dipped below uh, <laughs> to the depths that they have. Yeah, and their effective field goal percentage is the lowest number since uh, 2015-16 Lakers. And, you know, I, I think they're going to be kind of tooling this team around him as he goes. He he has a lot of kind of potential assists that he leaves on the on the floor. I had a moment where I was just like, and I had people ask me, they were like, is this kid a bus? He's not a bus. He's, I, I don't think he's a bus. I think that he's being optimized right now. And I don't think that he's enough of a an individual score. Now, he played excellent last night, but a lot of his stuff is kind of off the catch, scoring, things like that. The passing, the defensive instincts, those things are all showing up, all the things that I expected from him. But uh, when the people around you can't score, it's it, it makes it a lot harder. <laughs> to go back to what you said, I think was a good point about how he's not super into just like one-on-one duels holding the ball. It's been kind of funny, him and Jalen Green, where Jalen Green keeps trying to make this a thing about like who's number one pick. And there was that game they had. And I loved Kate's, Kate's quote after. He was like, just for the cameras, people talking, doesn't matter. Like, we're just here to play basketball. And like, that is for sure how he views the game. He's not super aggressive. He lets the game come to him a bit. And I think you're right in that he doesn't need the ball in his hands all the time. And that kind of makes the rest of the teammates around him more important. Because if Cade's not going to have the ball, who else is going to have it on this team? And I, you know, it's like with the pick and roll, like we can talk about Killian Hayes in a second, but actually what stood out to me the most is Isaiah Stewart. I don't think Cade and Isaiah Stewart actually fit well together because Stewart doesn't pressure the rim at all. Like Cade's got to have guys who pressure the rim around him. And when you watch Detroit sometime, it's like how like you, have, you have him and Hayes, these two big, slow guards that dribble in circles. You have undersized center and Isaiah Stewart. And then Grant and Bay are not really dreading threes right now. The whole team, it, it can be really miserable to watch sometimes. Yeah, offensively, they're really rough. And I, th- I think when we, when we talk about the, the comps to Luka, you just have to be really careful. Like, all we're talking about is a template. Now, like yes, Luka, yeah. Luka is the highest version. Luka and Harden are the highest versions that we've seen in a while. And I think in the NBA, whenever we're like looking for the next players, we see what's in front of us and it can, it can be sort of a a fallacy where we think that it's a reverse thing. Sometimes we'll see things and assume that they can't happen because they've never happened before. Or sometimes we'll see something in front of us and assume that it's going to happen again. Like, like you were saying, I think you just have to be really careful to, uh, give Luca his due for how generationally special he is. But in the NBA, we haven't really seen a player, the players that can like do that like heliocentric model and carry a playoff team to the highest level. LeBron might be the best heliocentric player on both two ways that we've ever had, and he needed all-stars on his team. So it's like, it's something that Cade is going to have to be optimized. He's going to have to play with players that fit. He needs rim pressure. Right now, he's playing with bigs that are below average finishers. You can go look that up. 
um, if, if anybody wants to, not you, Jarks. But right now, it, it's just a tough situation for him because if he's not going to be scoring efficiently and the people around him aren't hitting shots, like you said, Sadiq Bey has been anemic. He's been terrible. Uh, Killian is a whole podcast that we could talk about. Maybe we could have KOC come lay on a couch and talk to us. <laughs> KOC is like synonymous with Killian now. <laughs> he loves it though, I think. But yeah, among pick and roll handlers, like with over 100 possessions, uh, possessions, Cade has the second highest turnover percentage. And that's not necessarily his, his fault. That's measured by guys hitting shots. So it's going to be a work in progress, but I'm not really totally discouraged by what I've seen. No, I, I mean, he's a good player. He'll be a good player. He's definitely not a bust. And I think, I'm glad you brought up the template thing. Because I think this is a good transition to the next guy we want to talk about. I think also what was going on the last year in the draft. And I think what people haven't quite, the turn is happening. It hasn't quite turned yet. Is I think the last era of the NBA, it was the big wing creator. It was LeBron KD, Kawhi, Harden, big, these big guys who can play point and have the ball in their hands the whole game. And that was the guy who kind of determined everything. Like in the famous line is like either LeBron or the guy who guarded LeBron was the finals MVP for the entire decade. And I think people kind of got on K because they said, okay, he fits this mold. He's the next one of these guys. I think what got missed is that the game is changing. And that was the other thing where I was like, I got to have Mobley one. To me, the game is moving from the big wing to the hybrid big. I think the most important position in the game now is not the, the, the one, three point guard. It's the four, five hybrid seven footer. It's almost like point guard skills are like moving up the chain, right? It started as point guards. It's gone to wings. And now my bigs can run point. Now my bigs have point guard guard skills. Giannis. Anthony Davis, Mobley. To me, that's now the most important player in the game is your 4-5. These are all guys who play as four at the start of games, but are probably going to finish games at five. And I look at like Giannis and AD. I'll just say it. AD was the best player three years ago on that Lakers team. I don't care. Ooh, Giannis baby. and AD, what made them, that was the best player in the last two championship teams. That was a center who could guard point guards, who could switch one to five, who could defend wings, like they both guarded Jimmy Butler in the playoffs and shut him down because they're like, we're seven feet tall. We can guard a six, seven guy. Who cares? We can do that. And then it was like, okay, I had the seven footer, but I'm not going to bully ball him in the block. Giannis and AD, what they both did, they did differently, but they could both catch the ball at like 15 feet and go to the basket because like the bully ball, I think the bully ball block days are over where oh, yeah. you like shack the ball at the three, at three feet, drop step dunk. Because the game has changed, there's zones now. If the we had Shaq, is, though, he'd still he'd still do his thing. But yeah, for sure, it's over. That is over. Yeah. So you ca- what the game is now is you catch the ball in that mid-post, mid-block, and you go to the basket. Because that is still something you can do. You don't have to back somebody down three dribbles. You face them up, dribble once, get to the rim. That's the thing Mobley can do. That's that four or five position. And I think that brings us to the next guy we should talk about. We'll probably end the pot on this. We should. Can I tack a stat on that that you were just talking about? Like to speak to your point, and I think this could be a projection for the future. The Cavs allow the fewest points per chance in the NBA on switches. And I think a big part of that is Mobley's versatility defensively and the sky's the limit on that front. But yes, that does bring us to a guy that we both like a lot. Scotty Barnes is uh, the guy that the Raptors took. They surprised people. They didn't take Jalen Suggs. Um, I think, you know, uh, Ujiri is kind of looking 
savvy on that front now. I think he's kind of had the last laugh. Uh, he fits this. He fit, we're talking about molds and templates. I guess he fits this stereotypical Raptors guy who is, you know, long, rangy, muscular, uh, that can move and has an immense switchability. Talking about switchability, Scotty Barnes has defended point guards as much as he's defended centers. Literally 21.3% of his possessions, he's guarded a point guard, and 21% he's guarded a center. Why do you think that is? Why, why do you think Scotty's able to do that so fluidly? Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like Scotty is a smaller Mobley. He's got he's not quite as athletic, not quite as big, but he's also really smart. He's still 6'9, 230. He can move pretty well. And I'll take the L on this one. Unlike you, I'll go ahead and take the L right now. I was definitely sleeping on Scotty Barnes. You were texting me all last year about him. And I was like, I don't know. What's his jump shot like? And it doesn't seem to really matter. He just makes things happen out there. I think you have to take a lot of things into consideration when you decide where you're going to land with these guys. If you have just like a player who is like a stubborn kind of knucklehead type guy, we won't name any names or give any examples on that front because it would be offensive. But uh, if you have somebody that is like kind of like role stubborn, has like low self-awareness, there are plenty of these guys in the NBA now. Um, self-awareness paired with inefficiency is is the worst thing that you can have. And I think Scotty is the opposite of that. I think Scotty is somebody that is high-motored physically and mentally side-by-side side here. He can harass point guards with his speed and his length. He has a long wingspan um, that he was measured as having like an immensely fast and high second jump. So he can kind of jump repeatedly and bother bother at the rim and just make repeated second, third, fourth efforts on defense because that's a lot of what defense is, is just how long are you going to stay after it and get after it. On the shooting front, I think it's a valid concern, but like speaking to like taking the bigger picture in, Scotty is just one of those, you saw like the clip where KD gave Scotty props. And to me, what that said was, it's it's you sort of get into that sort of real hooper kind of crossover discussion thing where I think Durant, what he sees in Scotty is a guy that just is driven to get better. I think, I think that he is wholly consumed with it. Um, I had moments where I was kind of frustrated with him, where I thought that he wanted to be um, a Cade type where he had like the ball in his hands all the time. Uh, and like getting to the rim. Cause if you watched him in EYBL, he would like be pounding the ball, like in the pick and roll, but he had enough self-awareness, I think to develop on that front and not assume that that's who he's going to be at Florida state. And in the NBA, he's like accepted his roles. He's, he's a guy who like embraces little things and does them and, and just plays a winning style of basketball. He strikes me as somebody like an Iguodala type player. Who's going to um, impact winning at the highest level. I think, I think that, the odds are good that he's going to be on some like very good playoff teams, hopefully in Toronto for the Raptors fans, but maybe not, you know, as we go, but um, his shot looks better though. Uh, have you been paying attention to his shooting? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot better than I thought. And I think what I missed in the draft and what I'm seeing right now is I'm looking to, I think this, the number I've been obsessed with this year is two point percentage. I feel like that's the number we should all be talking a lot more about. Because to me, field goal percentage, it means nothing anymore because how many threes people take. So you can have a low field goal percentage and I'd be taking a lot of threes. It means nothing. And people will say, okay, look at true shooting percentage. But to me, that's too broad a number because it's like, where are those true shooting percentages coming from? It's like, what's your split of twos and threes? What kind of shots do you take? I'm looking at Scotty Barnes. He shot 56% from two in college. That's 11 points higher than Cade. 
And I do think Barnes is not like, I wouldn't say he's an elite athlete. He's very good. I wouldn't say he's an elite shooter, but it's like, okay, those are real concerns. But if those are really concerns, they should show up in his two-point percentage. The fact that at Florida State, he was scoring that efficiently around the basket in spite of whatever I was worried about should have told me, okay, this will probably be fine. And that's what's happening in the NBA now too, is like he's shooting really well from two. And to me, I think, like, I think to go back to what we were talking about with Luca, I think Steph has ruined a lot of people because everyone's like, oh, a three-point shooter. 95% of the time, if you're going to be a primary option, it has to be based on your two-point percentage, right? Like, it's basically impossible unless your Steph is to like, have all your shots be threes and you'll be efficient as a primary guy who makes other guys better. To me, like with Barnes, he gets twos really, really well. He gets to his spots. He gets like 12 feet, raises up. He finds ways to score. He doesn't hold the ball. So when like, there's nothing there, he just passes the ball, right? He doesn't take bad Mm -hmm. shots all the time. And I think, I do think the one thing with Barnes, what I've been watching in Toronto is and I think this is where it does hurt a bit is the lack of the three-point shot. I do wonder long-term if Barnes and Siakam are going to really make sense because Barnes was better when OG was there. OG takes like eight, nine threes a game, spaces it for Barnes. But it kind of feels like Siakam and Barnes want to go to the same spots on the floor. Yeah, and I, I think maybe I, I, I could speak to this because I'm not around their team on a daily basis, but I think that their developmental paths might be similar because if you watch early Siakam with the Raptors, they sort of eased him into his on-ball reps uh, to the point now where I do think that, y- that you're right, that there is a little bit of dissonance between them. You'd like to see them all kind of play together. Of course, on the other front, there's this thing of like, Siakam has entered sort of a contract echelon level, whatever you want to call it, where he expects to be a certain thing. And maybe that'll be in Toronto. There's been all kinds of speculation about him moving on, being in potential deals. That's a nice luxury that Toronto has, that they have this guy that they don't necessarily have to have because Scotty has such uh, upside. There it is again, drink. Um, but I, I think that, Scott, you're right about like the implied offense thing. Like you want to start from... It's just very hard to have like a, like an individual like self-creator that depends on the three-point line. Usually it's the opposite. It ripples from implied offense and out. Um, he, he does get around the rim. I, I I think that he's like really, really worked on his shot mechanics to kind of make them more fluid. I was joking with you about like every, every young player now wants to have that one motion shot. That's another impact that like Steph has had, but the game is so fast and, uh, closeouts are so fast and sophisticated now that you got to get your shot up quicker so that he's improved on that front and he's not taking bad ones. So, uh, I, I think that Scotty. As a playmaker, I think that he has a lot of upside too. Another guy that falls in that category. I don't think that he's like elite, but he's definitely somebody who maps the floor when he doesn't have the ball and makes... He can kind of over-penetrate sometimes and get in trouble. Uh, I watched a lot of his turnovers. That was something I noticed with him. He'll figure that out. I don't put that past him. Where where do you think Scotty's upside is? Do you think that there's a world where he's better than Cade? Yes. I'm not sure. I think it's with those two guys, I put on the same tier-ish and Mobley above them. I think with those two guys, it's definitely about the roles on their teams. I think Scotty, the path is kind of on your Draymond Bam path. I think he's a four who can play five. So probably you want to have a stretch five so that he doesn't have to play too many minutes in like, you know, regular season, going against Nurkic, going against Valanciunas. Not the best use of his time to bang with those guys for 30 minutes. 
So you have a stretch five, and then in winning time, you move him to the five, and then he's playing in a more spread system with like wings around him and shooters. I think that's the goal. Because with Scotty, I was talking to a Raptors writer, and they're like, oh, well, Scotty could shoot more threes. It's like, he could, yes, but I don't think that's really where his money is going to be made. Like, I don't want Scotty spotting up at the three point line. Because if I'm the defense, that's a win for me no matter what, basically. I'm like, I'm happy to have you take that shot. I want Scotty playing with shooters instead of being the shooter. Definitely. Mike Prada, who's, who's a really good basketball mind on Twitter, people should follow him. He made a he made a comp that I thought was really interesting. <laughs> he called Scotty Barnes in shape Boris Diaw. What do you think about Ooh, that? Ooh, I like that a lot. I, I like that a lot, actually. I, yeah. My comp for him coming in was like Kyle Anderson. I think Kyle's like the floor of what Scotty could be instead of, but I think those kind of, we're talking, we're talking about six, eight, six foot nine, big bodied guys who can defend multiple positions who are very smart, right? Those are the, that's kind of the general template for Scotty Barnes. And like you were saying, like, that's a very, very much a winning player. I remember I was on group chat and they were asking me, they're like, okay, Scotty versus Suggs. And I said, you know, I like Suggs more but who am I to say Messiah is wrong? I feel a very, very risky thing to do to say Messiah made a mistake and tip my hat to Messiah. He had the whole thing figured out. Like that guy knows what he's doing and he did another, another home run hit with number four pick. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, the, the Raptors can throw some really interesting. I wanted to say too, I had it written down here that uh, I love the golden black Toronto Raptors jerseys. Big fan of that. I just like the Raptors looks in general. But I, I, I think that... Uh, the Raptors are, it just shows how like deep the East is. The Raptors are, they've lost seven of their last 10. OG being out doesn't help. Um, that was the main see, thing. When he's yeah, out, they've just fallen off. Yeah, a lot of big expectations for him this year, I know. Um, do you, uh, what, you, you said you had some kind of concerns about OG like long-term. Uh, you were talking about like big athletic wings with injury problems. I know he has an, it's a hip issue, I, I believe. Can you speak to that? I mean, I love OG, but he's been hurt a lot. And the guy I've been thinking about is him and DeAndre Hunter. And these are both 6'8 guys, 230, 235, excellent athletes, play really hard, really hard players. And they're like really pretty skilled. They're developing skill-wise. But then I'm like, Hunter, missed a year of college, been hurt a lot in the NBA. OG, missed a year of college. He missed that playoff run two years ago when they had Kawhi. Now he's hurt again. And so, I mean, what are you going to do ultimately? But I am a little concerned. It's like when you're that big and that fast, I think, and you're only 6'8", 6'9", I think there is a concern about that, especially once you have the track record of injuries. Uh, another guy that, that is interesting for the Raptors, I know like, well, Malachi Flynn hasn't played well. I mean, that's a, that's a guy that we can talk about another time. But uh, I think one of the most interesting players on the Raptors is uh, Delano Banton. Oh Have my you gotten gosh. to watch him? Much? Of course, of course, you'd go to Delano Banton talk on our first I just, podcast. Well, let's let's <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let's just educate people on who he is. Delano Banton is this oddity who came from Nebraska. He was, uh, I believe, a three-star player coming out of high school. But the the rub on him, uh, well, when he comes in, he's just instant energy. He's instant energy. He's all over the place. He plays with this confidence where you're just like, this guy thinks he's like 
<laughs> he, he thinks he's the dude, but he had a big growth spurt. I just wanted to throw that in there. He had a six inch growth spurt near the end of high school. And then he grew three more inches in college. So he just kind of jumped on the radar. And of course the Raptors would monitor that, but have you gotten to watch him much? Did he has yeah, he I've, popped seen, to you? I've seen some Raptors. I mean, he's definitely six, nine. He can pass and handle. He's basically their backup point guard. He just, he pretty much took Goran Dragic's job. He said, you're done. Like I'm the backup point guard. now. Flynn too. Like Flynn's like, you're behind me. And I think that would be like, my one concern with Barnes is like he needs shooters around him. Banton is not a shooter. So it's just a matter of, it's kind of like Draymond where you have the one guy who never shoots. So everybody else got to shoot. So I think Banton's going to stick in the league. I don't know if I'm, Toronto obviously loves your long athletic guys who can switch, but ultimately you've got to balance that with shooting. So to me, you're Toronto, you've got Barnes, you've got OG. Big Gary Trent guy, he's a pretty solid piece. Fred Van Vliet's great. I think that's your core. I think Siakam, the good thing is you ain't going to trade Siakam today or even this summer. But I think in the five-year window, he's getting moved for a shooter who can play defense, I think, ultimately. Well, it, there's going to be a lot more rookies to talk about. And it's it's not going to be limited to rookies on this show. We're going to be talking about guys in the first few years. There are a lot of guys kind of even o- orbiting this conversation that we could have gone down paths on and we're going to be talking a lot about guys coming towards the draft as we get closer to the draft we'll ramp that up but uh reach out to us if you have players that you want to hear about you know uh in a way we're sort of the uh the podcast that serves we're the voice of the voiceless to to quote (laughs) (laughs) to quote Kyrie. we are both in flyover country right so all these coastal elites they they focus on the big stars we try to we try to dig down a little bit there, there won't be any city shaming on this podcast or, you know, I'm from rural Kentucky. I'm not, uh, I don't condescend anybody on that, where you're from. And uh, anyway, <laughs> on, on that note, we'll, we'll be coming back. We're going to be doing this weekly uh, and we'll be sort of rounding a lot of those things and polishing, sharpening those things. Sharks, uh, always good to talk to you and uh, catch you next time. Yeah, that was fun. Have a good one. Yeah.